But I want you to open your Bible to 1 John chapter 5, and then Mark 11 and verse 23. Now, for the last three weeks, we've been talking about bearing up and overcoming. Three messages about it's more than just going to church and hearing the word that we need. We need to live it. And we need to stop being overcome by so many things. We need to apply this wonderful word that God has given us against our problems and overcome and prevail and be the victor. God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we ended in or about 1 John 5 last week. I want to pick up that verse to begin with today. And I'm going to title this message today, Overcoming Obstacles. Rather than making it number four, I'd just like to make it a single message but it will go with what I've been saying, overcoming obstacles. We all have them. We will all face them. God will lead you in your life to face an obstacle. Just as he led Jesus into the wilderness where he had to face the devil and overcome him. He will lead you to face many things in this life that you'll have to overcome. Sadly, most Christians cave in to pressure cave into difficulties, they give up easy, learn to live with the pressure, surround themselves with people who gave into the same things, and don't overcome. But that's not the assignment that God has given us. We are supposed to be overcomers because God has given us something to overcome with. Now, in 1 John chapter 5, and verse 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now, that couldn't be any clearer. One, you have a foe. You have a real enemy in life. It's called the world. The sum total of everything the devil uses to tempt you or to defeat you is in the world. And he uses the world to tempt you. Some people are continuously vulnerable to the world because there's something in a person that appeals to the temptation. They really don't mind being tempted with some things. They don't mind having their thoughts about things that are forbidden. They kind of enjoy that. So they don't overcome it. They like that. Like a missionary said years ago, the reason he left his missionary post in Africa was he said, these people love their sins. They don't mind going to church as long as you give them something. You feed them or do something for them. But he said, they love their sins. They don't want to change. So he quit going. And I think it's true with a lot of people. We know about temptation and we know about the enemy coming in like a flood and all the things he tries to do to defeat us. And the reason we don't is because we really don't dread certain kinds of temptations. And yet there are some people that you couldn't tempt them with those things. They're dead to that. They're dead to things like pornography and going to hangouts and goofing off and listening to satanic music. Today is so much of it. That stuff's not a temptation to many of us. It shouldn't be with any of us. It wouldn't be for me. If that's what the devil came to me with, he's knocking on a door that's locked. Many years ago, I died to that. But there are other things in your life that the world brings to you and makes appealing to you. 
And you have to resist it. You have to overcome it. You have to see the danger that's looking at you. You have to see that what is being brought into your life has a design to destroy you, defeat you, or to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what it's all about. And if you want to cozy up to the world, you cannot be a friend of God. You have to make a choice. You can't have both. And so he said that our foe is the world. And he said, but the victory that overcomes this world is even our faith. And look how the word faith is emphasized in the Bible. I've taught it my whole Christian life. We'll never emphasize it too much. But look at how it's used. By faith, we're saved. By faith, we overcome. We just saw that. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We are kept by the power of God by faith. Our prayers are only answerable if they are prayed in faith. The premium is upon faith. Why couldn't we cast the devil out? Because of the littleness of your faith. Why did Peter sink? Oh, you have little faith. Everything comes back to that. Faith is counting on God to do what he said. This is how we overcome the world. The natural mind, I don't know how we're going to make it through this. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. This looks like such an awful thing. It's doom and gloom. And yet when you go to the word, for those that do, when you go to the Bible, you'll find that God has an answer for it. The Bible is full of solutions to any problem man could have in this world. And he brings these problems into your life, and it's the Holy Spirit. If you've been listening and you've been paying attention, it's that work of the Spirit that quickens to you the word you've learned. And that word becomes a weapon. It becomes a sword. And you begin to use something. All you've got is a word. You can't see God. You can't see angels. All you've got is what you have been taught. It's a word. But it's a word the Bible says is a living word, living in your heart. It's active. It's in there doing something. And when the enemy comes in, it's the one thing you use against him. And when the enemy came against Jesus, what did Jesus say to him? It is written. He appealed to the word, not his divinity, not his sinless nature. He didn't appeal to anything about himself. He said, God has said, it is written that you shall worship God. That was the power that was in the word. This is the word that teaches us how we should live. When we live by it, we're walking in faith. We're being faithful to the word. Scripture says this is how we overcome the world. We simply take God at his word. We count on God to do what he said. And we rest our case with the Lord. That's what we do. The Bible says the devil goes about like a roaring lion looking for that people who enjoy temptations and who enjoy the moments of running around and acting ugly. They don't resist that. They don't resist using bad language or wanting to hang out with the boys and be ignorant. They don't mind that. And so he's looking for them. It's enticements, the allurements of the devil to bring you into his arena and having given place to the devil. From that point on, he just begins to mess up this area, that area, that area, until finally you get, let's say, grown. You got a bad attitude. 
You don't enjoy life. You're upset with everybody and everything. You don't know what's going on. I saw a lady the other day sitting at a place. I'd gone in to get a cup of coffee, and she was sitting out there. She didn't say anything, and I might have misjudged her, but the picture I got was here was a middle-aged lady smoking a cigarette with the saddest countenance I ever saw. Just this kind of a, you know, gas is going up, it's raining, you know, the car probably won't start, you know, all the scenario. No solutions. Nothing but aggravation. Just a dismal, disappointed life. Nobody to trust. Nobody cares. Everybody's a crook. Who cares? Ah, yeah, yeah. That's what the devil does. He starts when you're young, and he brings you to a place where if you're not careful, you grow up like that. And then so many times you haul that once or twice a year to church hoping it'll get fixed, and it doesn't. Because when there's strongholds in your life, when you've let the devil in a lot and he takes a good firm grip of your life, it'll take a while to get rid of it. There'll be a price to pay. You'll have to overcome all those moments you don't want to go to church and it's too hard. And it's too, you'll have to overcome that or you'll stay like you were. You'll have to fight in this life. We have to fight. Turn to Mark 11, 23, the other verse. Because if you're a Christian, if you've been saved, born again, if you've really come to the Lord, really have, I can guarantee you and assure you this, that everybody who comes to the Lord enters into a learning experience. Now, a lot of people don't learn. A lot of new converts don't learn. They never go anywhere than just the church they grew up in. They really haven't been taught. They're only given things to do. Our church is doing this, and we're doing that, and there's very little emphasis put on teaching or put on explaining the Scripture. The average church mentality today is that's assigned to Sunday school class, which doesn't do that at all. It's just Sunday school class is a little thing you do in church. But if you're never taught... If your eyes are never opened, if there's never this time in which God gives you revelation of what he wants in your life, you will essentially remain as you were. But everybody that God calls to him, he has a program to change you, to teach you. There is instruction that God has for his people. And this instruction will always cause you to have to overcome something. You'll have to overcome something. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 23. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou taken up, and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, do you notice mountains? I don't think the subject of mountains here was used the way I want to use it today because I see mountains as obstacles, things that you're going to have to deal with. You never dealt with them before in your life because you never saw any problem with them. 
But once the word of God starts coming in, there's a new light that you have about things. You begin to see things differently than you always did. I did. I grew up in the Christian church. The only way I knew was the way I had been trained as a child to know. You go in, they give you a bulletin, which is an order of service and the announcements for what's going on during the week. And you sit there and you follow that and you sing that song and those verses and then you listen to this and then you do that and then we take a communion every Sunday and then we hear a message and then there's a choir and that's the way we did it. That's the routine that I was in. I knew nothing different. I had no problem with anything that was done. I had no problem with anything that was said. My mother didn't either. My dad was a Catholic, so he wouldn't very likely be caught in the Christian church. We didn't have any problem with anything. We didn't question any doctrine. It didn't matter. We didn't care. Most people don't. A good Baptist is a good Baptist. A good Presbyterian is Methodist. And you're taught as a child how to do it. This is the way we do it. And whenever there is a confrontation between two different groups, they say, well, you do it your way and we'll do it ours, as though we have options. And you can say that when you don't know any better. But when God saves you and your eyes begin to be opened, things do begin to matter. There are things that you have to deal with. Can you, as a Christian, believe that? And your head says, well, now, you know, if you stop believing that, your parents are going to come down on you. Your friends are going to come down on you. The church is going to come down on you. Why don't you quit rocking the boat and just let the... And you can't. You can't remain as you were. Because God's word comes in, and it's a new way of living. You've never lived that way before. That's why it's new. You didn't know that you had to believe this way or walk this way. Nobody ever taught you. You didn't know you were living in darkness, as Paul wrote in Ephesians. We were by nature, or we were naturally the children of disobedience. We didn't obey God. We obeyed the system we were in. My dad did his Catholic thing because that's all they knew. He never questioned all the statues and the idols and the crazy doctrines. He just thumped on his chest, made his cross, said Hail Mary, and went on his way. He didn't know any better. Nobody ever taught him. He was in darkness about that. Listen, I know that sometimes you think the word is hard and you think that it's just too much. You should be glad that you are challenged that you have been in your lifetime as a Christian where you've been in places where you're challenged or if you never were in a place that you heard enough that you kept seeking God on your own and, and, and you were continually challenged by the word to make adjustments and make changes in your life. This is God's work to take us from the way we were to the way he wants us to be. Remember that? We are being changed. We're being changed into what? The image of our Lord, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. And how does he do it? He does it through his word. Second Corinthians 
3.18, as we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being changed into the same image, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is the life that we're going to live. Don't resist it. Accept it. Face your challenges. We're not people who run. We don't go backwards. We go forwards. We're not afraid to fight. We're told to fight the good fight of faith. Faith meaning hold on to what you said. God will make it work. Don't let go. Hold fast. And when he said in Mark eleven twenty three, he said, here's how it works. You're going to face these mountains. And the one thing that God has given you, whereby you can overcome and resist, is faith. Now, if you won't doubt in your heart, but you will say, I can do all things through Christ, whatever is necessary to be said. And you're not just trying to quote this, but your heart is saying, amen. Amen. I do believe this. Then he said, you will have what you say. If you say, I'm going to overcome in my life, I'm going to live a right kind of life, I'm going to serve God with my life, and when my life is done, I'm going to heaven. If you've got that in your heart, you'll live like that. And every time the devil comes up to turn you aside or to mislead you, pray that the word you've heard will conquer falsehood, will deliver you from error, because you have light that comes against that stuff. You remember that time in Deuteronomy 13 where he talks about if that prophet or a dreamer of dreams comes along and he gives you a sign or something and what he told you comes to pass? Whoa, people like that today. But then if he begins to mislead you, God said, you shall not give any heed to him. You turn away from people like that. But you see, if you've never been taught, if you're not learning anything about the Lord, you can be misled because you won't know the difference. One of God's complaints in Ezekiel 22 to the priests, the teachers, he said, you're not teaching my people the difference between what is clean and what is unclean, what is right and what is wrong. They're doing everything wrong because they're not being taught they shouldn't. So the next time anybody wants to complain about it, teach it too long or it's too hard, just be glad that at least God is teaching you. You may not have the best teacher or the best instructor, but you don't have to be good. You don't have to be best. You only need an anointing on the service. And God could take things that weren't very well said and put them into your heart as things that are well said. But that's the work of God, not a man. So I praise God for his word. And when these mountains in life come along, may I be so equipped that I'm defeated by none of them. But let me share with you some of these obstacles in life that you're going to have to face that the word of God will compel you to deal with. Let's take religious mountains first. I spoke of being in a religious atmosphere growing up and my parents and probably yours. We never bucked the system we never rocked the boat. It didn't really matter. But take traditions. How many of us realize after we got saved, God began to teach us that there were things that we subscribed to that I don't know if I can keep doing that. I don't know if I can keep doing that. 
Remember the time when the Pharisees confronted Jesus and they said to him, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders for when they eat, they don't wash their hands? Now, it doesn't say in there a big whoop about washing your hands because the Bible doesn't say that, but it was this other thing that they put equally beside the Bible, which is the tradition of the elders. And this is Jesus' answer to them. This is Matthew 15. He said, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your traditions? See, you're doing something the way you've been trained. But when you begin to read the word and listen and being taught the word and light comes from God, you begin to realize that I can't do it that way anymore. I can't keep doing that. And then this gets you in trouble with somebody, family, members of the church, friends. You begin to be labeled as a troublemaker, as a legalist. If the troublemaker doesn't work, then they call you a legalist. They try to get you to give up because of pressure they put on you. But that's what the devil does. There's not many who will live as unto the Lord in spite of who their enemies are. There are not many. Most people are far more concerned about who their friends are in this world than whether or not they're on the side that God wants them to be on. But he said, why do you transgress the commandments of God by your traditions? And then notice this. Jesus said, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your traditions. You have a system devised by man, a way of worship that is friendly to man in his ways, a way you do things, the way you're put together as a church. It's not scriptural. It's not the way God intended for it to be, but that's the way it is, and we like it. We're all right with that. You know, after I got saved, it wasn't long after I got saved that I began to be that troublemaker. You know, suggesting one time in my, I didn't have a wonderful attitude, but suggesting at a board meeting that we buy a golf course so we could become a country club. I did. It was supposed to be in the minutes. I don't know if Mr. Moyers put it in the minutes or not. People got up and walked out of the meeting. You see, I was never like that. <laughs> well, I probably always had this. <laughs> Ask the principals of the high school where I taught. But anyway, there was just this thing in me that was never really afraid of confrontation. If I knew or if I believed I was right. See, the price you pay for being rejected is peace. And when God began to show you things, I thought, we're not trying at all here to do what's right. And we would say things like that. We would speak about things like that. Oh, people would get all upset. They were all angry. They didn't like this change that was coming in our life. We became sticklers for the word. We felt like the word ought to have the preeminence in whatever we do so that we're doing it according to the word. And some say, well, you are worshiping the word. Well, we're worshiping according to it. What else do we have? 
If I don't have this word to measure what I'm doing or to measure the way I'm going, then how do I know where I'm going or what I'm doing? You can't just devise up some religious way to live and say, well, it's okay if everybody's happy with it. That's not true. Man likes anything where he doesn't have to work at it. Remember what Jeremiah said about people who didn't have a heart for what they were doing? They were just in a system. They learned how to do things, and they had no heart for it. Listen to these words. Jeremiah said, Wherefore, this people draw near to me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but their hearts are far from me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. They don't care if it's right or wrong. Didn't they say that to Isaiah? Prophesy smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Make up something. We don't care if it's true. We wouldn't know if it was wrong or not. We're not scholars. We hired you to preach to us. So just make us feel good. But when you got saved, that won't work anymore. You begin to pick up on things in a sermon. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not right. Uh-oh, that's not right. Let me see where that isn't right. No, sir, it says right here, that's not right. And then you become aggravating. Why do you have to be so legalistic? I'm not legalistic. I'm trying to do what's right. I cannot know to do good and then not care if we do good or not because if I know to do good and I'm unwilling to do it, for me it's sin. My eyes were shut for all those years as a young man. And one day they were open, and then everything mattered. Like the denominational system. The Disciples of Christ that I was in was a denominational system, which with its headquarters extremely liberal. Members of the World Council of Churches, a very liberal, worldly mess, stood for nothing except man, whatever man is. And they wanted to support this cause and that cause in the world, and I thought, we can't do that. Go to the preacher. Brother John, we can't be a part of a denomination like this and support what we as a denomination stand for. Tom, Tom, can't you just, Tom? I said, John, I am a part of a big system. My name is on the roll of this particular denominational church. Every denomination is the invention of a man. Every one of them. They all have truth in them. They all do good things. All of them do. But they all depart somewhere from the way of God. Now, if they depart from the word of God and you want me to support it, now that I've got some light and I see what's wrong with it, I can no longer support it. My mother gets bothered. Tom, my friends, Tom, the leaders in the church, Tom, why does everything have to be a big deal? Why do you have to insist on the word? At the board meeting, Brother Tom, you can almost hear him say, oh, here it comes. Let's cut out all the announcements before Sunday school class and all the who's here and who's not here and the verse of today and any birthdays today and then onward and then go to our classes and then have 15 minutes of, well, 10 minutes, it takes five minutes to get your coffee. 
and then 10 minutes of little Sunday school stuff. I said, let's take the whole hour. And the other Sunday school teachers, you mean going there in a classroom for an hour? Man, I wanted an hour. Yes, give me an hour. And then begin to quote the Bible. See, the Word of God says, and that's never been done in this church. The Word of God says. Well, what does the Word of God say, Brother Tom? And you could just see this disappointment with me. Or you. I'm not a pioneer here. You all had to face something. You didn't leave where you were to come here because you wanted to live in the Ohio Valley where the climate's always... <laughs> Any why you came here. Chances are you came here because you couldn't stay where you were. You had convictions about what was right, and the people didn't want to do it that way, and you could no longer assist and be a part of something that departed from the truth. And you had to leave. You had to leave and come. I think denominations oppose the truth. They support abortions. They support women preachers. Not all of them. And folks, listen, listen. In every denomination, there's good people, as good as anybody here. I have no problem with people in anything. My problem is with the system that people are in and the effect it has on the people. And because somebody in the system who runs the show determines the direction of the whole system. Read in the paper the other day, one of the Presbyterian branches in America, one of the churches is anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian. How ignorant is that? Anti-Israel. What rock do you crawl out from under to be like that? Open your eyes. I remember thinking, I would resign, start writing it right now, and take it to the preacher before Sunday service. I will not be a part of something that believes like that. I don't care how nice the people are where I am. If the system goes that way, we can't do it. I can't. I went to my pastor, I said earlier, Brother John. Later on, after a couple of years, I said, John, we can't be a part of this. They believe in abortion. Our church sponsors murder. Man, if all these babies that had been aborted since 1973 were still alive, we'd have a lot more taxpayers. We wouldn't have a lot of problems we're having. Well, you think about it. Maybe close to 60 million legally by law and churches support it. Churches are so against divine healing, they build hospitals instead. Churches, they put their name on it, Baptist general, Lutheran general, or whatever. Always general. How can I be a part of that? It's like if I was in a political party and the political party supported abortions or same-sex marriages and sex education in schools and, and all that really dumb, ignorant, immoral. How could I be a part of that? How could I align myself with that kind of a mentality? And I'm a Christian. I can't do that. I'm going to come out from among them, and I'm going to be separate. You're going to be persecuted. I'm going to be hammered, really persecuted. And so will you. Jesus said in John 7, the whole world will hate you. 
not disapprove of you, call your church some cult. They will gnash their teeth at you. Why? Either because they have been taught and rejected it, never been taught, don't know any better, or just not sure about people like you. But you're going to have to face these religious mountains. You're going to have to deal with it because you might be in that system and you're trying to get them converted. You're trying to get them saved. You're trying to point out the things in the church that's wrong. And all you're doing is aggravate people. I remember people in my lifetime have come to me and said, well, I'm in one of those systems, and the reason I'm staying in it is because I'm going to try to get some of them saved. So you're going to stay in, align yourself, and be a part of that because you think you can save them. I have a verse of Scripture for you. Isn't it nice to have a verse of Scripture? 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 where it says, Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away withdraw yourself do you know how a person feels when you obey god like that you feel like you're mean feel like you're mean spirited oh man these are your friends you grew up with these people i have been here i've already been through this i know what people think when you no longer can run around with some of your childhood buddies because you're on different planets now. You can't. And I didn't. All of my friends from June 30th, 1968 on were people I hardly knew. People I had known in my life, but I had never run around with them. And I realized that the spirit was in them, the spirit was in me. And we had a, a similar like for the word of God. And we studied it. We talked about it. We brought information to each other. And we rejoiced over it. And I began to have this fellowship with like-minded people. I don't remember, but I imagine all my old friends in the town. I'd been the basketball coach there and all of that. They probably saw me as some poor soul that's been hoodwinked by another one of these cultic religions. But you know, as I look back in my life, I see clearly now, standing here, I see clearly the value of being strong in the faith, putting a huge value on information that comes from heaven. And of being willing to have a heart that's willing to take that information and live according to it at the expense of your reputation, of your friends, and maybe your job. But I count this a treasure to live like this. And look where I wound up. I wound up with more friends than I ever walked away from. You're my friends. Amen. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you will, for just a moment talking about these denominational mountains and obstacles. Verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. That's very simple, isn't it? Preach the word. Herald the word. Proclaim the word. Make clear the word. This is to a minister, a young fellow. Be instant in season and out of season. Whether you're Favorable or unfavorable? Do this with the word reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own 
lust. They shall heap to themselves teachers. That's where the denominational system came from, right there. They will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. There is a way we want to hear it. Say it that way. Don't deviate from it. Say it that way. So the church goes a little further, the denominational system, which I had problem with this too, in the way they organize themselves as a church government. They hire a preacher. They go out and look for preachers. They call the seminaries. You got any good ones? What kind do you want? Well, we'd like to have one that's got a little fire, or we'd like to have one that's got a little love, or we'd like to have one that's a little liberal, or we'd like to have one that just doesn't mind coming to our church. So they give names, and they go interview them, and they go talk to them, and they offer them, here's what we'll offer you. We have a parsonage, and it has two or three bedrooms, and uh, we'll give you mileage, and we'll give you a, a medical plan, because they don't believe in healing. They couldn't. We'll give you hospitalization or we'll give you a retirement. And all of these are enticements to come and be the preacher. So for 10 shekels and a shirt, you can get you a preacher. And he is told what to preach. He is. The school taught him how to preach. The counselors taught him how to deal with people and how to maneuver through people. He has to learn psychology because he has to be able to not just depend on the word and let God deal with people, but to use man's clever methods, you know, to make everybody happy. So he's a hireling. He knows what he's assigned to do. He knows where he lives. He knows when he gets to go on vacation. He has to balance the budget, direct the choir, Marry the young and bury the old. If he does that well, he'll get a bigger church. But he's a hireling. But the church is set up that way. It's set up that way. To go out and hire somebody for a certain amount of money to come in and preach. And the government of the church, well, they have a congregational meeting every year where they vote on the next bunch of leaders Deacons every two years, elders every four years in our church, and then you had the trustees every six years. And the whole church would come to vote on the next slate that had been given to replace the old ones. You see, we didn't want people to be on there all the time because, well, quite frankly, we don't trust each other. That's why we have checks and balances in the government. And the church is set up much the same way the government is. So the church is quite like the world. It has its checks and balances also. We make sure the preacher isn't uh, in charge. There's a board over him so he can't take over. And we know the deacons and elders only can serve so long and then they have to be out for a couple years. Otherwise, they might try to take over. And, you know, we're trying to protect the church. Well, I began to see that one day and I made a little something about that. The preacher said to me, he said, well, I want you to be the associate pastor here. We had already voted out the denomination. We were just a group now. Praise God. He said, I want you to be the associate pastor and teach on Sunday nights. And be the youth director. You've got to do all of it. And I said, okay. He said, now, how much do you want us to pay you? And I said, nothing. He said, well, you've got to have something. Because I wasn't teaching school, then I had no income, period except what I'd get when I went somewhere. And he said, well, how are you going to do this? I said, just put a bucket in the back of the room. Just put a bucket at the back where people come in and put a bucket back there and just let the ones that are taught, not the whole church because they don't want to be taught, but just the ones I'm teaching, let them give as the Lord leads them to give, and that's what I'll use as an offering. 
I remember him saying, I never forgot this. He said, well, you won't get anything. Did y'all, when the churches you folks were in, did y'all get a little box, a little, uh, little beggar's bags in them? I'm sorry, the little envelope had your number on it. So the secretary knew how much you gave and you'd put the little check in there or your cash in there and you'd put that in the offering box and that was it. There was no more requirements. That was their mentality. They were trained like that. Christians, a lot of them are still like that. But the Bible said, let him that is taught in the word communicate with him that teaches. So I told that to John. And I said, I'll just go that way. He said, well, Tom, you won't get anything. And it just about didn't. <laughs> I remember the first night, there was a nice little crowd there. And there was one $5 bill in the box. But I knew in my heart, I knew in my heart that I was not hired. I don't want to be paid by anybody. If I live by anything, it's what I'm given. I live by gifts, by offerings. That's the way I live. That way I'm answerable only to God, and most everything given is cash. I don't know who gave it, and I got nobody's back to rub. I kept doing that, and it kind of picked up. One week, was, I think it was $20, $25. Whoa. But gas was only a quarter a gallon then, so <laughs> that wasn't so bad. But the system, the whole System, he said, the time will come when they won't do it God's way. You're going to wake them up, but you're going to kick a sleeping dog when you do. And they're going to bite at you and growl at you and bark at you. God will see to it. I doubt if any of you could go to a local church and be a member in good standing there with what you know. If you can, I don't know if you know it or not. There would have to be things eventually that bothered you. Well, I can't do that. I don't believe that. Well, no. Anointing with oil, oil had medicinal properties. What, olive oil? You rub it on, you get healed? Nobody believes that either. Just so many things that the denominational church does that you just can't do. Take another religious mountain that you have to fight. It's holidays. Remember that one? Don't they all have a celebration at the end of the year? Christmas, they call it. You learn to do the Christmas thing. We decorated and ho-ho-hoed and, and practiced the Christian songs, and everybody was so happy. And then one day, somebody on a tape said, I don't know where you find it. And then you start reading the Bible about Christmas, and I thought, oh, come on now. So we go back over here and, oh, man. Uh-oh. That's not a Christian hall. Let me go to the encyclopedia where I was told to go. Uh-oh. This began in, uh-oh, Christmas Christ Mass. It was an invention of the Catholic Church. Christ Mass, a Mass for Christ during a festival season that men and women got pretty rowdy. So they made a Christian, oh, wow, I can't do that anymore. Oh, what's going to do to my family? And this was a big one back then. This was a big one. You're not going to do what? <laughs> and then they would say this, well, don't you believe in God? That's Jesus' birthday. And you say, no. No, it's not. 
He wasn't born that time of year. And then you go through a little, they don't care about what the truth is. We're just not going to give it up. So then people hiss and talk. He doesn't believe in Christmas. <gasps> well, wait around until we get to Easter. <laughs> and then all these saint days that the church practices. Valentine's, Patrick, let alone St. Nicholas. Where do you think all of that stuff came from that the church treasures? It's a money day. It's a bigger attendance day. Easter's the biggest day of the year. Why, if you gave that up because you didn't see the scripturalness of it, why, well, why? And they won't give it up. They won't let go of that. But you will. You walk away from it. And I know what people in the community say, and I know what most Christians in their community say. They don't, they don't do... Well, who's teaching these people? And you make a decision that you know in your heart is right. I can't do that stuff anymore. I can't go that way anymore. And then if these things weren't enough, another religious mountain wasn't a huge mountain, but it was big enough with some people were lodges. Lodges, secret lodges. A lot of times churches would kind of sponsor the lodge. And to get into the lodge, you had to go through initiation and take an oath. You had to swear. In one of them, if you reveal the password that you could disembowel yourself at high tide and so on and so forth. And call brothers, people who were heathens in the community. Now you're aligned with him in a brotherhood. When I learned about that, I read a lot about that, and I thought, that's not right. Didn't realize that not only did the preacher have a, a certain kind of a ring, but the couple of the men on the board were, you know, the little motorcycles, you know, you've seen them going through town, them hats on. You know, little, but you know what? I'm not trying to be tough. I remember at the time, it didn't matter to me if they were involved in it or not. What they were doing was wrong. They didn't know from the scriptural side it was wrong. So I said some things about it. And the gates of Hades were opened. <laughs> you would have thought that I had desecrated the whole system. And then whenever I had to leave the church, things changed some more, but not for good. I had to leave. I could not stay in this church and have the preacher on Sundays come against what I had taught Sunday night. All that's going to do is bring confusion. So I left. I've never been back in that system since. 1976, we left. Moved to Shelbyville in 1977. As soon as I got here, the bunch wanted to, let's teach. Let's get a meeting going, all right? But then I saw this is about to become a church. I am not a I'm not one of them, Pastor. And I moved to Versailles, Indiana, in a church. And my bones grew cold and weary. It was the wrong place for me. Good people, nothing wrong with people. And I came back here and everything worked. But I pray, see, that we become not like the people we came out of. I don't want to age in my life and get older and seek an easier way now. 
I don't want to take comfort in the fact that now I've got things going pretty good. I don't want to start backing off. Because if I did, you ought to leave. If there's one thing that has to stand firm in your life, it's your faith and the revelation that God gives you. I cannot give that up. I don't care who rails against me, who says this, or who says that. I cannot give that stuff up. Well, I was in the lodge, and I said all that, and I took the oath. I've talked to somebody. I said, then go read Leviticus chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. It says, ask for forgiveness from all of that. If you said something you shouldn't have said and didn't know any better, then God will forgive you. And then come out from among them and be separate and touch not uncleanness. Get out of it. And you start meeting in homes. We met in various places in this town before we got in this cathedral of tomorrow. <laughs> As our folks can see, we got a real fancy place here. But God meets us here. As long as he's here, I don't care. If it's clean, dry, doesn't stink, and the Lord is here, I like it. Let me give you another mountain. There's another mountain here. It's a physical mountain. You'll have to face this one too. I think the religious obstacles are more difficult than the physical ones, but you'll have to deal with physical ones because God, as he teaches you, if you're where you will be taught, and things aren't explained away. If you're where you're going to be taught, you will deal with this one. Because you will learn to believe in either divine healing or divine sickness. One of the two. Either divine healing that God heals. Not that God could, but may not want to. If he doesn't want to, then it's divine sickness. That either he does or he does not. And I don't know why so many people don't want to believe in divine healing. But so many Christians, it seems, just multitudes of Christians have a great problem with healing. If you went back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 7, 15, you know, he will remove all sickness from the midst of you. Or Exodus 15, 26, he says, I am the Lord that heals you. Or Psalm 103, I not only forgive your iniquities, but I heal your diseases. That's what your Bible says in the same breath. And Isaiah 53, verse 8, the Messianic chapter about what Jesus came to do. Our stripes were laid on his body in Matthew 8. It says, by those stripes we were healed. Not might be, could be, ought to be. We were and I wonder why is it so many people that have been well-educated, smarter than most of us are, how they can't see it. They preach against it. I know very, very few people who believe in divine healing and preach it. It'll upset more people than you can imagine. That or tongues or Christmas. One of those three things will, will get you put on the side of town in the little building. Out of the big church anyway. You know in your heart, if you stand for certain things around some people, if you say it, they're going to put you out. And how many times do we hold back from saying things when there's an opportunity and a time to say it? We hold back because we don't want to, what, get hammered? Persecuted? 
you can't avoid it. You cannot avoid persecution. All you have to do is let God show you the way to live and then begin to live it and act like what God says is true. Align yourself with God. Turn away from wrong and do right. What do you say in James chapter 1? The prayer of faith might heal the sick. The Christian world out there, the religious world, will say, always say that God could. They can't deny the fact that he did, and he has. But they will say, you can't be sure that he will do it for you. He might not want to heal you. Then you believe in divine sickness. And if you believe in divine sickness, you should never pray for anybody, ever. Because you don't know if God wants them sick or God wants them well. You're just praying, I don't know, I'll pray and believe God and maybe he'll do it. No, because if he doesn't want to do it, you're praying against his will. You couldn't. You would never lay hands on anybody. How would you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover if God doesn't want the sick well? We can't do that anymore, and they don't. Churches have laying on of hands for healing as much as they have foot washes. They don't. They don't want to do it. I think there's a fear that you might pray for somebody and they don't get healed. And they never saw, like in Matthew 8 or 9, that it's according to your faith, be it unto you. Or Acts 14, seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said. you got to have faith too. But they don't have any faith because faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word. They've never been taught because the preachers don't believe it themselves. What's going to happen to masses of Christians? They're all waiting for the Lord to come. I don't know. I don't know. But you will be confronted in your lifetime with this message of healing. And some of these things that you'll be confronted with trusting God to heal you from will be difficult. Now, I'm not anti-doctor. I'm not against the medical people. I'm not. There's a whole hurting and a sick world out there that needs them. And the world has a provision for its ills to some degree. They can't fix everything they try. A lot of them try. So I'm not against that. Any more than I'm against people and denominations. I'm not against that. All I'm saying is that we as Christians have something better. We have something better. When God says, I am the Lord who heals you, then he means that he has eternally, because the word is forever settled in heaven, that God has eternally stationed himself before you as your doctor. And nothing is too difficult for him. There's not a problem he can't fix. And I remember when I first heard this years ago, taking antihistamines for, for constant problems. Me and David both, we took two pills one morning, one evening. And the doctor said for the rest of our lives, just so we wouldn't be congested. And I heard this message. If you would turn to James chapter, and I heard that message about divine healing. I thought, oh, man. But then it began to bother me. What if I try this and it doesn't work? So you turn the tape back on and it says, you don't try. You have to believe. Now the question I ask myself, and I'm still here today, I live like this. What do I believe? 
I know what I can quote. I know what the Bible says. I know what it says. What do I believe? Do I really believe this? Like when Bonnie was holding our daughter Judy years ago when she had her really injured her mouth and blood was everywhere and chin was cut open and and I sat down at my desk, an old green army desk I had, turned to Mark 11:24, and I read it quietly. What things ever you desire when you pray, believe that you have received them and you shall have them. And I preach that. I've preached that many, many, many times. I've quoted that at least a thousand times. It was embedded and burned and emblazoned on the hard drive of my heart. I knew what it said. But I don't get healed because I've done that. You've got to believe it. You have to be convinced in your heart that it's done. God will do it. And if you don't, it's not faith. Faith is not quoting the Bible. Faith is not a good confession because maybe that'll work. Faith is a convincing and a persuasion in your heart that what God has said, he has done. What things ever you desire when you pray, believe that you have received them. And I look at Judy in my wife's lap, and I said, Bonnie, do you believe that God can heal what's wrong here? And she said, yes. We put our fingers on Mark 11:24 and the other verse in Matthew where it says, if any two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done. That's a promise. We put our finger on that, and we claimed it. And I remember I settled in my heart to the place I wouldn't even look and see how the progress was coming. When she'd come in the room, it couldn't help but look at her face, but I wouldn't examine it. Because, see, I'd already cast that over on the Lord. She's healed by the stripes. I don't mean you can't change bandages and stuff. This is the way I did it. This was me. You know, poor old Tom, this is me. And it wasn't long until all of this was done, fixed. I don't think she's ever been injured since. I just think one of God's blessings is that when you walk out things, you might have things never come back. I remember a lady came in a healing line up years ago in Indianapolis. And she said, I'm having a terrible migraine headache. And at, at the time, this was in my heart for the time. I can't make this work just at the time. And I laid hands on her. I said, you'll never have another headache. And she came up after it was over, and she said, you know, my headache's gone. And a while later, before this meeting ended, she said, you know, I had them all the time. I haven't had one since. But when faith is a matter of the heart, and you're not trying to make it work in the name, in the name of Jesus, that doesn't make it work. The show in the flesh, breathe all you want to, brother. Breathe again. Now I look up to heaven and go, oh, God. do that too if you want to. But it won't work because you did that. It works because what's in your heart is settled. And quit trying to walk on the water until, like Peter, when he said, come, Peter said, I can do this. And he did. The guys in the boat were probably, look, you can't walk, look. Water. Just because one of us can do something and trust the Lord for something doesn't mean it's automatic for everybody else. It's you and God being confronted with each other and him showing you his word in such a way that your heart is affected by it. You can no longer doubt this. God will keep me well. 
And I say with praise unto God that for the last 42 years, we've had no doctor bills, no deductions for any kind of medical bills, none. No medicine in the house unless honey somehow heals people or molasses or olive oil. I'm just saying that this is the way you live. And once you're confronted with divine healing and your body says, well, you're sick and God says you're healed, you're going to have to say something. You've got to talk to mountains. You're going to have to say, I am what God says I am. Or you're going to have to say to God, no, I'm not healed. I'm sick because I feel sick. But you're going to say something. You'll be compelled to say something. Silence won't work here. You've got to talk. And when it comes to divine healing, the church doesn't believe in divine healing. The preacher has medical insurance. The preacher has medical things. Maybe the denomination has an insurance company. They feed on doubt and unbelief. And how can he preach divine healing when he himself does not, will not, and probably cannot trust the Lord? If he preached divine healing, he would probably be fired for being a hypocrite. What a mess. What a mess, folks. You should be glad that while you may struggle with divine, God-sent, God-honoring healing, you may struggle with some of those things, but you should be glad that he's given you that. Because once you get into divine healing, you've got the whole world system against you. They'll take your kids away from you if they can, because you won't take them to a doctor. I've read some of the same things you have, and I thought that wasn't faith at all. But I've heard of all the tragedies and the catastrophes in the church. I have. And people point to me and you whenever they read what happened out in California. I can't help what people do somewhere else. I know what's in my heart. I'm not going to try to act anything unless in my heart I know it's there. I'm not going to play games with my children or anybody else. And I don't know what everybody else believes. I'll say this. I probably shouldn't, but let me go ahead and say it because I said it would. There's been many times here that people were going through things, and, and in my heart I thought, you know, you need to do something for that because you're not able to believe God. You're not trusting God the way you have to, and you ought to go to a doctor get something fixed or something. Then there's been others who've gone through some things, and they just said, well, I'm going to trust the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. I don't know why in some cases you feel. I don't know why. I cannot help but what I know in my heart. When my heart has that the word of God abiding in it, and I'm peaceful with that, and I know that that's what God has said, I'm at peace. I don't know what he said to any of you. I don't know where your heart is about a lot of things. You can tell a whole lot by looking at a person's life, how they live and how they talk, what they believe, but not everybody is that convincing. But when you begin talking about hitting the schools, you won't take your shots. Your kids don't have their vaccinations. You don't believe that. Why don't you believe that? Well, the Bible says, oh, now your name is, has a little red circle by it in the records. And then the social services want to pay you a visit. They pay you a visit to your home. They're trying to find your kids so they can look at them, see if they're all emaciated and, and drawn out and slaughtered them out. And, They see your children unhappy or they see them happy and running around and playing and healthy. 
Uh, they're still suspicious. I don't know about this kind of stuff. I don't know. People in the church, your parents get upset with you. When one of my boys got his foot caught in a bike years ago, 1972, my mother-in-law saw it. She told my father-in-law to get the car. We got to go to the hospital. It was pretty messed up, the outside of his foot. And I said, no, you won't have to do it because he got talk. No, you don't have to do that. I prayed for him. He'll be all right. Now, when you tell that to somebody who believes not even in the same planet, such a thing as that, have no clue that anything like that should even be, and yet you're doing it with their grandson? And it was just a day later I said to Bonnie, we are going home. Went back home put a sock on his foot, sent him to school. I don't even think he could walk well. We were just acting our faith. And I know back then if somebody, his social services would have had not a fit, but a passing out type fit. Conniption fit, maybe they call it. I'm just saying that the message of faith doesn't endear you to this world. The message of divine healing doesn't make you more likable. It makes you very suspect, but you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to overcome with the word of God what's in front of you, or this thing will rule you the rest of your life. All these situations, whether it's the holidays and the church, we didn't get the money. Borrowing and money, and how are we going to have anything if we don't borrow? You're going to have to deal with that too in light of what God said in His Word. You've got to learn to wait on the Lord and trust the Lord. Oh, it'll never happen. It will happen. If you got it here, it will. And this whole world looks at you because of light. God has given us light and has made us deplorable to the world. You're crazy, they say. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But I want to close with just saying this about your mountains and your obstacles and the way we overcome them by faith. You've got to deal with it. Quit running from it. Quit putting it off. Deal with it. What do you believe? Whom do you trust? Will God supply your needs Willie, is God able to give you enough resources in this life where you can have what you deserve? Maybe it's a new home. Oh, that's too much. Then when did God get limited about houses? God isn't restricted by anything down here. What country you live in, it doesn't matter. God is bigger than life. He's waiting for those who are called by his name to come before him and confidently engage him with faith and say, Father, I believe, and in Jesus' name I receive this. And when they face that family mountain where you better conform or else, you know, you're going to get put out of this family. You won't get your inheritance or we're going to do this or that. You're going to have to deal with that one too. I didn't have to really badly deal with it. But we all will be faced with it. Something about the way you're living is going to make you loathsome to a lot of people. Sometimes your own family. Maybe it's that unsaved husband or wife that you had to have. 
and you got saved and she didn't, and she can't stand your religion, won't go to church with you, talks about you, what are you going to do with it? She's your wife. He's your husband. What are you going to do? You got a mountain looking at you. Is it going to defeat you and roll over on you and crush you? Or are you going to find a word that you can use to change it? Can an unsaved mate be saved? Come on now. Is that possible? Come on now. Can an unsaved person be saved? Come on now. Read 1 Peter 3. If you have a husband that doesn't obey the word, he may be one without a word. As he looks at how you live. I'm going to close. I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 4 and verse 18. Paul has already said in 2 Timothy 3, y'all say in Peter, I'm just quoting from another place. 2 Timothy 3. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Shall suffer persecution. Why will you be persecuted? Because of godliness. How do you become godly? Through that work of the Holy Spirit by the word in conforming to the image of Christ. Godliness, Eusebia, a Greek word which means a right, true relationship with God. That's not the best definition. That's the Hamilton version of what it says. A right, true relationship with God. You live like that, and the Bible says it's automatic. You will suffer persecution. Now, because this life is not easy due to the things I've just said, and we are commanded to overcome all this stuff, there's no option. There's no out. you got to do it. Peter wrote this, and I'm going to give you the Williams version of it, not because it's the best, but just because it says something here specifically different. And if it is difficult, even for a righteous man to be saved, what shall become of irreligious men and sinners? Who are irreligious men? They may be in the church. Church may be full of them. They may be the preacher. But their goal is not the exaltation of God, but their system. We're not a part of that. But the Bible says in the last days, evil men and imposters, imposers, play-likes, hypocrites, shall wax worse and worse. Jesus said in those days, darkness shall begin to come when no man can work. And when the whole world begins to lie in darkness, I pray that we'll be out of here. Overcome. Overcome. Keep your hands on the plow. Look ahead and pray. Like Joshua said, be very courageous. Don't dread what you're going to go through because God will, with the difficulty, do a deeper work in your life. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you will bless to each of our hearts this morning your word, the deeper meaning of it, May it reach down into that part of us where convictions are brought. May we begin to have better and deeper convictions about the truth.
If there be those here this morning, young or old, who have no keen interest in the word, I pray that they have heard something this morning they cannot and will never escape from. That the word will be with them no matter where they go. That though they sin, they will hear the word. My prayer, Lord, is that this whole congregation in the end will be saved. That when Jesus comes, no man will be left behind. Only you can do that work. And we ask you to continue to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? I've decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me and the world behind me. The cross before me and the world behind me. The cross before me and the world behind me. No turning back. Though none go with me, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with Decided to follow Jesus. I have decided.